This is the best chance we've had in our lifetimes, including mine, which is longer than most, in recruitment to slaughter sacred cows and to fix some of the things that are, we all don't like about recruitment and clients and candidates, if we have the gumption to do it. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my guest today needs no introduction. Greg Savage is one of the most respected voices across the global recruitment industry. With over 40 years experience in recruitment, he's the author of The Savage Truth, which has sold over 10,000 copies in just over a year, which is unheard of for this type of book. And it just shows you what a loyal following Greg has built with his 315,000 LinkedIn followers. If you've not been exposed to Greg's no-nonsense approach before, then you are in for a treat. Greg, great to see you. Mark, you too. And I love the uh, John Lennon look that you're channeling at the moment. I think this is good with the <laughs> hair. Um, but uh, thank you for your very generous introduction. Um, somewhat comical. I'm sitting at home now and I have my family, some of them here. And if they heard you describe me in those terms, it would cause a lot of hilarity. So uh, thanks for that. But it's better not go outside the Well, room. it's... it's ho- <laughs> You can't, uh, you can't be a prophet in your own land, right? That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, ironically, um, yeah. not, to, not to get off um, topic uh, before we've even started, but uh, my 23-year-old son was, uh, was going for a job change. He's, uh, he's a sports journalist, and, and he was uh, putting his resume together and um, lining up an interview, and I, th- I thought I might give him some counselling. He, he, he would have none of it. And in the end, I said, mate, all over the world, <laughs> people will contact me for advice on these things, but you... No, oh, dad, you know, yeah, very, very condescending. Dad, you're all right. Go back to your room, old fella. So there you go. You, you know, familiar, familiarity breeds contempt, right? Yes, you, you, you said it. So, Greg, I've got loads of questions for you. What a crazy 12 months that you helped me launch the podcast back in December 2019. You were my very first guest. We'll link to that episode in the in the show notes and uh of course who knew when we did that recording what was to come in in just a few short months after that um and i guess you know we, we don't need to rehash the pandemic because it's been talked about a lot and um you know uh, i'm i'm almost you know sick of talking about it but um I think we have seen kind of the best and the worst uh, in our industry over the last 12 months, but certainly some great examples actually of people rising to the occasion and looking for the silver lining, the opportunities. And um, I wonder if you could share your perspective because you work with a lot of different recruiting businesses and you're in correspondence with many more what would you say have been some of the best examples of recruiters or recruitment companies who rose to the occasion during the pandemic? They adapted to the situation. They and they just were excellent with the way they communicated with clients, candidates, team members in the best possible way. Uh, what what have you seen? Well, it's a big topic, um, and I, I will I will talk about four or five things, and and then you can you can ask me some questions about them. Um, I, I'm in a very fortunate position in a weird way. Uh, not COVID related, but it was even brought into more focus, Mark, during COVID because 
because I'm an advisor, I'm on the board actually of uh, 14 different recruitment companies, uh, many of which I've been involved with for many years. I was literally in the boardroom of, of, of the decision-making of a, a lot of it was on Zoom, but of, of, a, of a wide variety of companies dealing with this. And I also have a lot of associates and friends in the industry, many of whom, as you can imagine, many of whom called uh, for some guidance. And But the point is, I was hearing their ideas. You know, yes, I had a few things to help them with. I've been through a lot of recessions and, and all that. Um, so I think I'd like to feel I was helpful, but I was learning a lot too. And there's been some tremendous examples. I think the first thing to, to sort of think about, which is interesting, the reaction of the leadership, you know, it was March, April last year when it, it happened so fast, Mark, you know, uh, that, that's where it was one of the reasons this downturn was so different to, to, to all those before the speed and then the lockdowns and then. You know, just just people were in shock. And actually, I related to the five stages of grief. You know, in in human condition, yeah. they talk about the five stages of grief. If you go through some traumatic event, then you're going to go through uh, shock and uh, denial, etc. And and I saw it in people. And some of them stayed in the early stages for a long, long time. And I actually had to say to some people, mate, you have to cut your costs, or you will lose your business and your house in two months. And they were still like, we'll trade our way out of this. We'll sell our way out of it. I'm like, this is not that. So I think the, the best sort of the platform was when people got to the final stage of, of, of this uh, sort of metaphor, if you like, it's called acceptance. And I don't mean acceptance in the context, Mark, of resignation, but I mean acceptance in the context of this is now the reality and we have to be different to everything we've done before. So the people who reached that stage first, and started talking about, I mean, even things like keeping people in the office until the government told you you had to go home. Um, just a, not cutting expenses, and I'm not talking about staff, that's a different thing, but not cutting expenses because this will blow over in a few weeks. Just just total non uh, sort of acceptance of the situation. So I think when that happens, the behavior of the leadership when they realize that people's revenues dropped, as you know, and the gross profit dropped 50, 60%. Um, no business can, can stand that without recalibrating their cost base. And we know that in our industry, a cost is mostly around salaries. Um, so there was a lot of pain. For, uh, honestly, and I'm not being facetious here, I had, I want to say scores, that's probably not more true, but, but many, many grown men and women crying because of the decisions they had to make. Such was the distress. Um, so, uh, and that's totally fair enough. Uh, it, it was a shocking decisions that they had to make. But the ones who acted fast, acted um, intelligently about cost up. So some bad examples, of, uh, I'm not going to name names on the bad examples, I will on the good. A bad example, substantial company, recruitment company in Australia, I'll say that, um, sent all their staff home with no pay, except the, the management and the directors who stayed on with full pay. Right, so they basically uh, didn't lay people off. They stood them down. It's not even an illegal thing, but they did. They stood them down, and then they brought them back when it suited them. Of course, the wheel has turned, and in this country, every recruitment company I know is hiring, and it's all systems go. They, they are not running it easy to hire people. So your hire people. So your your behaviour during that time is remembered, and you're judged. Yeah, you know. Um, and so I think those who communicated well, who were transparent, 
I mean, there was a lot of, look, it's, uh, it's going to be okay. Um, you know, our numbers are fine. We're safe. And then two weeks later or 10 days later, half the team got cut. Now, you might say, well, that's bad luck on the half that got cut. But the half that were there also didn't trust the leadership. You know, why would they? So um, transparency, uh, empathy, I'm going to come back to that word later on, uh, but also intelligence about if you did have to let people go, which ones and why and the way you did it and, and, the, and, and the terms upon which you did it. Uh, I think it was very important, not only just from a humanity point of view at a very tough time, but also from a commercial point of view because um, it left you with the strongest team. And I, and I saw people cutting staff who were not the ones who should have been let go uh, and holding on to ones who may have been big billers, but they were big billers because they were transacting on a PSL or something like that. And they weren't actually going to cope in the environment where we had to build relationships. So um, I think that was important. I think then once we were in lockdown and, you know, I know you still are, and I know things, I've got clients in the UK, I'm, I'm, I'm doing remote webinars for them and things. And some of them are doing very, very well, uh, actually. Um, but there was a time when, where, where nothing was happening and, People went into their cave, and I think the one of my clients, as an example, said to his staff, look, guys, um, just do your best. You're working from home, just do your best. And I said to him, mate, what, what, what the fuck does that mean? Why would you say to someone, do your best? You know, um, it's like saying to someone about to run out to the Rugby World Cup final, one of the players says to the coach, what shall I do? And the coach says, do your best. Like, it's a given, right? Everyone's doing their absolute best. <laughs> Which not helpful. He thought he was being in for that. I said, no, you've got to recalibrate that message. What does, what does good look like now? You can't expect people to build the way they did yeah. before, but what is, and that, that was what some very smart people did, was to redesign the definition of what a successful week looks like. And so their consultants had, could have come to a Friday night, have no billings, have taken no jobs, but still say that was a great week. And that's what they needed to keep going, right? So what, what does that mean? It means, well, okay, we need to, yeah, we, there were three things. You know, I was talking to people about, first of all, jobs in play, any actual jobs you have, you have to be all over them like a rash, you know, let's get those filled. But then it's um, continuous quality outbound engagement was a phrase that I coined for what people were doing, which was they gave their recruiters tasks in those depths to connect with clients, prospects, and candidates, not to say, give me a job, but to say, can I help? What's happening with you? Let me give you information. Mr. Candidate, um, let me help you redesign your LinkedIn to make it more, more, more punchy. Let me, let me coach you on some online um, brand building. Let me, let me just talk to you about the market. It was building what I call goodwill equity. So goodwill equity is when you are investing yes. time and energy to help you know, those recruiters who, who, who were visible and valuable. Another phrase I was using a lot at that time. Visible and valuable. When, when the wheel turned and people wanted to talk and do things, they went to those recruiters because they were there during that time. So, so those were some smart things, a couple of other things. Um, I think a lot of people, understandably, when they did connect with clients and candidates, the conversation, and you said it yourself, you're sick of talking about COVID, conversations very quickly started to go downhill. Oh, isn't this a shit time? We've had to let people go. There's no football on TV, whatever it was, right? And I was coaching people to develop their chats. You know, I think it's in the UK. People say, oh, he had good chat. I think it's used mostly in a sort of romantic, <laughs> it's used mostly in a sort of romantic situation. But I wasn't talking about that. I was saying, you need to have something valuable. You need to have something valuable to say. 
something useful to say. So, so, so get the clients, get the get the clients of the candidates. You know, lead it off from talking about how bad it is and how Boris is this and all whatever that you know everything that we all talk about. Let's move away from that and be saying, what are the good things? Um, what's happening in the market? Ha- have a perspective. So, but giving people, um, you know, I, I was doing this myself, some context about what the future could look like and how to build to a future that, because we're going to recover. We've seen it here. We are back to the same level of unemployment we were in February last year now. I think it's one percentage point. So everyone's been re-employed just about. Wow. Yeah. Great. Okay. And we've got no COVID cases. We've had one COVID case in New South Wales, that's a state of 10 million people, in 60 days. That's, that's just a case, not a death or anything, just one infection. And that, that was a security guard who was guarding a hotel where people coming from overseas, you know, who did have it. Um, so, uh, you know, we're going to recover this, and it has, but you needed to be developing a good chat. And I think um, just finally, I've got a lot of things to talk about as always, Mark, but just finally, some very practical things. A lot of recruiters were on the instruction of their leadership, getting on the phone, sending out emails, just saying, have you got any jobs? Can I help? Not very helpful, you know. Uh, not very innovative. And the phrase I was using there was we need to flip the dynamics. And what I meant by that was, and as I explained to people and, 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 and people have done brilliantly, give you three examples in just a minute. You are contacting your clients, but instead of going to your clients with the whole ethos being, what have you got for me? You're going to your clients or your candidate with, I've got something for you to totally flip the dynamics. So a couple of examples, people to people company I helped found 15 years ago, haven't done a day's work in it in my entire life. I've uh, just been an advisor. It's grown to 120 million turnover. A lot of people say the fact I never spent a day in it in my entire life has been the, the main factor for its success. But I still take all the credit, obviously. Um, so they, uh, <laughs> they um, very quickly during the depths of the downturn developed a, a, ten, a 10 step questionnaire addressing things like, are you going to hire? How are you getting with work from home? What are your COVID protocols? You know, very topical things. Their consultants uh, called 100 clients and got the survey. Then they, 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 they turned it into a nice-looking document. It was a PDF mainly, um, nicely designed. But then instead of doing what every other recruiter in the world would do, which is mail it out, they called clients and they had a day. I've written a blog about it. You can go to the, my blog and, and I think it's called The Best Lockdown Marketing Idea I've Ever Seen. And they, they got about a – It's called I'll- – Hey Greg, yep. I will link. I'll I'll link to that article in the in the uh, show notes. It's actually the best crisis business development idea I have seen. Was your okay? Thanks, Mark. You, you're obviously clearly across my blog more than I am, which is good, and that's how it should be. So, <laughs> so the summary of that was: Look, I got six offices. I got seventy or eighty recruiters. So you know, quite sizable. They got on the phone all day. They called clients and said, "Hey, we've got this great uh, piece of information. It's very helpful." So the perspective was, I've got something for you. It wasn't give me a job, give me a job, right? They had, they had seven or eight hundred. Um, I think it's in the blog. But I think they made seven hundred. And and the, ethos, the, the the message was, um, can we set up a fifteen minute Zoom to go through the findings with you? They set seven hundred and forty five meetings up in a day. Right? They didn't do them. They just set them up wow. over the next few weeks. Right? They took fifteen jobs mm-hmm. just from the phone calls. But they set up these 745, it's in there, I might have my numbers wrong, but it's a big number like that, Zoom meetings. Now, they, they, were, they, they had said to the client, can we have 15 minutes? It was in the diary. The feedback I got was not a single one of those meetings, Mark, lasted less than half an hour. Right? So it became a business wow. discussion. 
And it's a client visit, yeah? yeah. We were sitting at home or in, in some of the states in Australia, we could work from the office. But they had these meetings. The, the, it was memorable for the clients. They did send the client the PDF afterwards, so that was done. But that wasn't the point. It was an engagement. So that's, a, that's an intelligent kind of a – and when you think of it, what's the cost? Nothing. In-house PDF was developed. And the consultants – was so I was in the office that day in Sydney office. There was about and the office takes twenty five thirty people. There were about fifteen there that day. Uh, the rest were working from home, and it was the most exciting day in COVID because people were having all these great conversations, and they weren't having to call and say, "Is there anything you've got for me?" And isn't it shit about this and that? It was like I've got something for you. So um, that was a good one. And another one, one of my uh, clients, smaller company, I, I call it the eyebrow idea. And the reason I call it is she told me she said, "Greg." When I want to have my eyebrows done, stay with me, Mark. This is going to be good. When I want to have my eyebrows done, <laughs> I just go to my beautician onto her website. I've already logged in. She's got my credit cards. So I go into her like a calendly thing, and I just put my name in. I turn up a Thursday at 2 o'clock, and I'm done. And she said, I've decided to use this idea. I've installed that piece of software on my website, and I've gone on LinkedIn, and, and I've said, if you, and she works with PAs and EAs. If you are a PA and EA and you want some counseling about the crisis and your career and salaries and jobs, book in. She only allowed 20 spaces. I'm not joking. It's booked out in 14 minutes. Huh? So now we had all these, candidates, wow. yeah, all these candidates coming to her saying, I want to talk to you. So she was telling me this and I was congratulating and I said to her, why don't you do it for clients? She was like, really? Yeah. I said, yes. So not on LinkedIn so much, but she emailed clients with an invitation to talk about the crisis, about, and she made it spicy, you know, like salaries and what, what are other people doing? That's always a hook. She, was, she and her team yes. were doing 25 meetings a week, but think of the psychology. The client had booked in. The client had literally booked in in their calendars. Instead of us calling saying, you know, Mr. Client, I'm glad I caught you anything for me, booked in. So, um, and the final one was uh, another, well, it was actually people to people again. They, their CEO did a Facebook Live every Friday, 12 noon, still does it actually. Do it for a whole year. He'd bring guests in, which would be his staff, and it's for candidates. Now, they've had over a 1,000 candidates sign up for those uh, each time, and it's giving information to yes. candidates. And so, so the thing is, it's generosity, it's giving, it's changing the dynamic about what I can give to you. And, of course, every time that happened, they picked up candidates, they picked up jobs, people were talking about them on LinkedIn. So I know I've I rattled on a bit, and I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it, those are some of the smartest sort of tactics in response and, and behavioral sort of mindset that I found has helped companies, and they are just booming now. That uh, And literally, the companies I'm talking about are doing so well now, and it's because of their behavior during the lockdown. Absolutely. Agree 100% that, um, you know, I think the important thing is as the recruiter or business owner, you don't necessarily have to have the answers yourself in order to create value for your community or ecosystem because we are connectors. So, you know, the example you gave people to people, they first collected that information by talking to the market, right? And then they collated that information and then they shared it again with their clients, with candidates, whomever, um, and by setting up all those, all those client meetings. And so they were the conduit, but they didn't have to come up with all of that content themselves. And in fact, the exercise of collecting the information and doing the analysis 
itself was a form of outreach and community building. Um, so I've uh, certainly seen some great examples of that myself with some of my clients either uh, yeah. hosting roundtable discussions where they, you know, will bring a group of clients, candidates, prospects together um, to share ideas and find solutions to common challenges or to host webinars. And, you know, I've seen examples of companies who've had hundreds, if not thousands of people registered for these webinars. And it's such a brand building exercise, um, you know, so there is a commercial benefit, but it's more, as you say, about generosity, because if you can give before, you know, it induces the law of reciprocity, of course, but uh, if you can come into this with a spirit of, you know, we're not going to see any benefit of this in the short term, but we just want to um, be very prominent in trying to do whatever we can to help our clients yeah, exactly. and candidates exactly. and to create positive conversations and together like support each mm -hmm. other to, to get through this in the best possible shape. And then, you know, the, the, the fallout of that is going to be, can only be positive for your brand and your business. hundred percent. Right? You know, you, you're quite right. And it's interesting. You make that point about uh, the collecting of the information. I remember we had a quick debate. It wasn't a long debate because they were saying, Oh, let's email all our clients with, you know, a, a, a survey monkey or whatever. And I was like, no, don't, don't do that. Let's have our consultants call them and say we're collecting because that in itself is an engagement and it's uh, visibility yes. and it's a connection. And the, thing, the, the other point that you make, which is so important, uh, just to expand on it, is it's generous, it's giving insights, which is valuable, but it also differentiates you because you know that most, many, many people say, oh, all you recruiters are the same. And then in, 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 in this environment, there is a bit of a race to the bottom. And what, how, how big is the difference between someone calling you up and saying, I've got a tremendous piece of insight for you, I'd like to have a Zoom meeting to tell you our, our, our data, which is going to help you run your business. And somebody else who sends an email saying, have you got any jobs I can do? You know, big difference in terms of positioning. And there are lessons out of all of this beyond COVID, you know, about how we should market and how we should engage. And I mean, you do it yourself. You're doing it now, um, building these podcasts and providing people with value. Um, you know, there's no benefit for you. You're not selling it, but you're building positive engagement with people and providing something that uh, keeps you, you memorable. I, I'm quite sure that's part of your thinking. We're doing this. Uh, absolutely, yeah. for sure. Um, so, Greg, coming on to that then, what do you feel are the enduring lessons from the pandemic that recruiters must adopt as standard practice from now on? Mm. Well, let me start with a rather cynical but unfortunately true comment. Um, many, I used to say most, but I'm trying to be positive, owners of recruitment companies will come out of this situation, so relieved that they've survived, so grateful that the market's picking up, that they will go back, Mark, and do everything exactly the way they did it before. That is not, now, you, it, any, any no. second article you read on LinkedIn is about how the pandemic has changed recruitment. Absolute bullshit. It will not change it, but the opportunity to reconfigure the way you do things is huge. You can change it. And I've got some great stories that people have done. So um, I think that's the biggest danger that people just go back and this is the best chance we've had in our lifetimes, including mine, which is longer than most, 
in recruitment to slaughter sacred cows and to fix some of the things that are we all don't like about recruitment and clients and candidates, if we have the gumption to do it. So a couple of them would be, or, or several of them, I guess, um, the smart leaders have realized that now is a ch- that, that, that in many cases we had the wrong, we hired the wrong sorts of people into our businesses. And some of them were still in inverted commas successful because it is true, Mark. You could make a living in the boom. And it was, there was a 10 year boom from the 2010 down, 2008, 2009, 2010 downturn to this. That was a 10 year boom. The best period in recruitment. Yes. Right? People, people think it was tough. It was fucking brilliant. And everyone made money. And, and, and people <laughs> even made money, Mark, if, if they were being totally transactional. You could make money by just spamming resumes around town and hitting the target. That kind of recruiter, even though they may have built before, has to be reinvented or we need different people, right? And, and you might say, well, what do we need? We need people who actually have the ability to move from transactional to building relationships, which I know is a cliche, but then to building consultative recruiting stuff. Now is the time. And it is a lot tied up in that, right? And that's a whole new skill set. It's, it's, it's questioning skills. It's listening skills. It's influencing skills. Now, a lot of recruiters have got none of those. And I think smart leadership is saying this is the sort of person we need. That's a different type of person. And, and, and can be the same human being, but they need to learn. Um, and that will lead on to a greater commitment from the client in terms of exclusivity or retainers and repeat business. And by the way, we're going to need those skills with candidates because if you haven't, if you don't know yet, let me tell you that we are going to get a deluge of counter offers, candidates ghosting us, of candidates just accepting three jobs and turning up on, on the day for the one they feel inclined to. I promise you that that is going to happen and it is happening already. And ironically, absolutely, yeah. I'm already seeing that. Yeah. As well, uh, one, uh, on a Zoom call with some of my clients the other day, one of the uh, chaps had had $120,000 worth of offers fall apart. And this is a very experienced guy. It's not offer management yeah. skills or whatever. Um, you right. know, that was so, and that's, I'm, I'm hearing a lot about more COVID cold feet. Right. And, and, and so, so that is happening. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, pervasive in Australia, starting in New Zealand. Uh, I've heard that from the UK before. And, and so what it actually means is, even though that guy was an experienced recruiter, we need to double down. So, so there's an irony here, right? Most, most interviews with candidates are Zoom now. And I think they'll be Zoom even when we can get back together in the main. That mean, and there is no doubt in God's green earth that most Zoom interviews are not as thorough as face-to-face interviews, and they're becoming more superficial. So the irony is, even if it doesn't matter what the technology is, whether you can do it face-to-face or Zoom, whatever, you have to get better at building a relationship. You have to make less assumptions. The great recruiters will, will examine every answer. So, Mark, why are you thinking of changing jobs? Oh, career progression. I mean, some dumb past recruiter writes that down. That's not the fucking reason. I promise you that's not the reason. <laughs> or it might be the reasons, but it's layered, right? And so a good recru- recruiter will yeah. know that because the, the, the countering of a counter offer starts the first time you speak to a candidate. Now, these are not new recruitment skills, but they've been lost in the boom and then they've been double lost in the technology in, uh, barrier that COVID's now, uh, um, uh, what's the word, dumped on us, so to speak. So... So I think the thing, and this is only one topic, it's the the type of recruiter and the skills that they have. Um, The other lesson is 
mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, I predict people will, will not learn because they didn't learn it last time, is that we need to build into our recruitment companies at least 50 to 60% of our gross profit coming from annuity revenue, temp and contract type revenue. But people will mm. get seduced by the delicious allure of giant permanent fees, which, by the way, I love. Don't get me wrong. I love permanent. I've got my, but permanent is a very unfaithful lover, Mark. Permanent will dump you, and they does. <laughs> uh, whereas uh, temp and contract is much. Now, people know this. This is not a new thing to say, but people also. On, so, for example, I'm having a lot of conversations with people, and they're showing me their plans, etc. And I'm saying, but we've said we're going to grow temporary. Yes, we are. But you just show me a plan that says you're hiring five permanent recruiters and one temp resource. Show me your commitment to. Oh, yeah. But temp, you know, it takes a long time to build up. It's going to be expensive. Yeah, it's going to be expensive. And if it was easy, all the stupid and lazy people would be rich. It's hard, right? So start doing some difficult things like investing in a, the technology and the marketing and the staff to build your contractors. So that's a lesson that some people will learn. Um, technology, big lesson. You know, a lot of people have found that they uh, like they should have known this, but that their their databases now that we're emerging, you know, the ATS is actually full of uh, it's a, it's a candidate graveyard. The phrase I like to use because it's full of dead people. Um, some of those people might actually be dead. It's so long since we try to speak to them, but others are dead to us because we we don't we're not connecting, engaging. So really good ATS and CRM that actually amplifies engagement, consultant responsibility, but a- amplifies engagement. And the whole thing about AI and automation, here's the short version. Introduce as much technology as you can that takes the hack work out of recruitment and frees the recruiter up to be a world champion at influencing and consulting. But that is the lesson that some people are learning and implementing. A lot won't. A lot will still get their recruiters screening thousands of candidates of job boards and uh, doing a whole lot of stuff that can be automated. Don't try and fight automation, but don't automate the parts where you can influence the clients and the candidate. That's the lesson. So I think there's that. Um, And then finally, just for the moment, um, because there's lots of things we can talk about. I think uh, just like my client who said, just do your best. There's a lot of people who, who, who love to say KPIs are old school and um, you know, micromanagement is bad. Here's the, here's the truth. KPIs are bad because of the way they're implemented and because of how they set. Yes. Measurements of activities is not bad. It's absolutely essential. And I would go that we need to measure more in this environment, not less, and work out what's working. Mm-hmm. And coach our consultant about what a productive week looks like. Obviously, dollars is what we want, pounds, whatever it is, at the end. But what are the activities that lead to the outcomes? And measure that, you know, every sports person, every business person, every person at the top of their field measures what they do and builds on it. So, you know, I've even heard leaders saying, oh, KPIs, you know, that's old school. Greg, you're old school. I say, yeah, I'm old school. But, you know, my, my businesses are still successful and, and you're borrowing money from your father to stay afloat, right? <laughs> so um, it's, not, it's not KPIs that are wrong <clears throat> in, in, in themselves. It's not measurement that's wrong. It's what gets measured, how it gets delivered, and how the recruiter is brought on the journey to understand that if I do these things well. Absolutely. So, so that is going to be... You know, combine that with a consultative recruiter and great technology and some smart. I mean, there's 50 things we can talk about, Mark, but 
Um, those are just some of, course, those are just of, some of the things that I would recommend. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I, I'm glad you mentioned KPIs because I'd like to ask you a follow-up question on that because um, I, I think exactly the same way. The analogy that I use with people when they're, you know, skeptical or, or they're pushing back uh, in terms of measurement is, listen, if you're getting on a plane from Edinburgh to Sydney and the pilot's instrument panel was not working, so they're, they're uh, fuel gauge, their you know compass, their alt, uh, you know altitude measure, uh, all the instruments that give them information about where they are in the in the flight and whether they're you know on you know how high they are and so on. If none of that was working, but the pilot just said, "Ah, don't worry, I've flown this route a lot of times. It's going to be fine." How confident would you be getting on that plane? Exactly. And so if you think of your measurement of your metrics as your, you know, in your cockpit, you've got your dashboard, uh, your instrument panel, um, you know, it's the same thing. If we need to arrive at a particular target um, and, you know, there's going to be problems on the way, there's going to be bad weather, there's going to be, you know, obstacles. Uh, if we don't have that information in real time that's telling us whether we're on course or whether we're going to crash into a mountain, then, um, you know, we, we might still get there. But uh, why would you not want to benefit from that information? Uh, 100%. So you're absolutely right. And by the way, um, you know, the, you, you talk, I talk about, I use the phrase KPIs um, or activity goals for consultants, but the phrase you use of metrics. Uh, and ratios I used for the ownership. And I, I think I've just, well, no, I've just published a series of blogs. I think it's called the 14 metrics and a leadership and recruitment company needs. And um, I've actually spelled out what they should be and you should direct people to those because that is exactly the analogy. It's like, you know, flying a plane in the dark and in the mist, you, you need all your instrument panels working because then you can predict things ahead of time and take action. And I'm so familiar with these things now when I sit down in a board meeting and people put up their T&Ls and stuff, and I'm not saying I'm just because I'm clever. I'm not. I'm pretty dumb, but I've done it a long, long time. And they start talking about how good it is. I could just look at numbers and go, yeah, but we're only doing three times and five is best practice. What's the problem? No, we're not. Yes, we are. There it is. Oh. Um, and what about your debtors' day? No, it's good. We collect. Well, no. They've blown out for 60 days. Is that good? No, that's bad. 
well, it doesn't matter. We'll get the money. Well, it does matter because you're not going to be able to fund your 10 payroll. You know, these are the sorts of things. Because, you know, a lot of owners of recruitment companies are, are recruiters and they, they're good and they're good leaders maybe, but they're often not commercially. So that's not a crime. I'm not an accountant. I'm not commercially trained, but I made it my business to understand the key numbers and ratios and metrics that are going to help me to help myself. So I completely believe that that's going – and coming out of the, you know, profitless growth is, is something that we've got to watch. It's going to come for a lot of people because they're going, to, they're going to hire recruiters in your country. They're going to get all excited about the market picking up. And they're not going to look at their metrics, which a nice one would be gross profit per income producer. Their numbers are going to go up for the yeah. going to come up for the company, but they're going to, their, their, their cost base is going to go up quicker. And all they're going to do is end up with a bigger company making less money, more risk, more stress. Um, and that happens time and time again. So that's in a good example of your, uh, your, your dashboard analogy mm. where you can, you can predict the profit or your temp margin is another one. I, I, every owner of a recruitment company say, what's your temp margin across the company, the percentage margin? They never know. I mean, I work. Yeah. Really? Oh, or they take a guess and I say, well, let me see it. Well, we don't produce that. I said, you've got it. I want to see it monthly trending. I mean, that's the number you sleep with under your pillow, mate, because You've got 500 temps out there. You've got 500 temps out there. And if your margin drops half a percent, that's thousands of dollars. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Really? Yeah. yeah, I'll show you. So, so we need that stuff. Um, it's not all about charisma and knowing the market. It's adding, a, you know, running a recruitment business is, is a heady blend of, of, of science and, uh, and emotion, if you like. You know, it's both. Uh, it's not just. Well, let's work hard. The worst, the worst advice is let's just work hard and we'll, you know, working hard is a given. I'm not even interested in hearing you're going to do that. What are we going to work on and how are we going to make yes. sure what we do is productive? So those are the lessons that I think a lot of people have learned. I'm skeptical about some doing it, but many have and they will thrive. You know, there will be coming out of a recession is the time for companies to be made. And the opportunities are just, I almost wish I was 25 years younger. I'd do it all again because it's a cool time to be in this business. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think you're right about that. Greg, I'd like to ask you shortly about your um, upcoming session, which is you've got 14 pillars of growth driving the recovery. And we'll, we'll include a, a link to your Thrive webcast in the, in the show notes, um, which is gregsavage.com.au forward slash thrive hyphen webcast. Um, before we do that, I I put a post out on LinkedIn. I've been really focusing on being consistent with uh, trying to post relevant and uh, helpful things on on LinkedIn. Um, one of my clients responded because I, I told my LinkedIn uh, connections that I was going to be speaking to you and asked what questions I should um, I should put to you, Greg. And there was a, a couple of good ones from a client of mine in Toronto called Greg Benadiba, who is the CEO of Bilingual Source. And by the way, he is, he's loved your book. Uh, he wanted me to tell you. Um, Thanks, what, so first of all, you know, now, as you said, we're, we are going to be entering a, a phase of growth again, renewed growth in the industry and owners are going to be looking at hiring again. What are the key characteristics and values that owners should be looking for in potential new hires in recruit recruiting now? And how is that different to maybe the, the characters they've hired in the past? You've already hinted at that in terms of, you know, 
influencing skills, listening, empathy, um, consultative rather than transactional. But like, how would you identify that in the interview through questioning to find the sort of person who will thrive, you know, in the, the new world of recruiting? Well, it's a great question, and I'll try to answer it. I mean, first of all, I think we, you, you must anticipate in your country that when people start hiring recruiters again, they're going to find it extraordinarily hard to get people with experience. Many people have left the industry. Uh, many people are, are uh, starting out on their own. Uh, in this country, we, we, we had 36% of recruiters were fired in April, May, and June last year. 36% of agency recruiters were fired, wow. a third. Almost all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them were under one year's experience, as you'd imagine. And that's a year ago. So if they hadn't been fired, they'd now be two years in it. They'd now be two years experienced recruiters, the classic person you probably want to hire. Well, that generation doesn't exist. Plus, we don't have all your mates. By that, I mean UK uh, recruiters coming over for a two or three year sojourn in this country, which is typical. Uh, And Australians go back there. So that's stopped a big group. And then the third thing that's happened is that internal recruiters are hiring in big numbers. Now, these things may or may not happen in your country. That's what's happened here. And they're taking agency recruiters. So there's just a dearth of people. So first of all, that means you're going to have to grow your own in many cases. So I think the first yeah. thing you, you, you need to look for, and this is not new, but we need, we need people with true resilience. But you need to understand what resilience means. Resilience doesn't mean macho, be tough, bottle up your feelings. I don't, that, that is not somebody, those people crack. Resilience means, I, I don't mind actually. I think this is such an emotional job. I, I, I encourage people to swear, cry, walk around the block. But the thing, because you've got to get it out of you. Or go to the gym, maybe a better way to, to get the stress out of you. But the thing is, real resilience is the ability to bounce back. Right? So you need to look for people who, yes. I can have three counter offers turned down. Somebody's rude to me. And the next conversation I have with client, candidates, or colleague, I'm back on my game. Now, a lot of recruiters are still talking about those offers turned down in a month, a month's time. Woe is me. You know, this will go wrong. That is lack of resilience. And it drags people down with you. So real resilience isn't showing your emotion or being stressed or having a bad day. That, that's fine. Um, I encourage it because it's, if you care, it's an emotional job. But it's the bounce back. So that, that is the first yeah. thing I'd look to identify. The second thing is I believe we need to be deeper in – I think we're, we're too superficial. I see it all the time. This is a typical, a typical example. A company's quite good in accounting and business support. Now they've got 8, 10, 12 recruiters. Client uh, owner says to me, hey, Greg, I just interviewed a person who's a marketing recruiter. I, I'm going to hire them. I reckon they can build three or 400,000 a year. I'm like, okay, why would you do that? Because they're going to do three or 400,000 a year, Okay. And then when they leave after a year, the day they leave, you're no longer in marketing recruiting. You're back to where, why would you do that? Far better to get, if you're going to get into marketing recruitment, do that, hire a leader, hire two, three, four people, build a a proper sustainable business. Rather, if you're not going to do that, then build more people in your business support and your accounting. So the reason I gave you that is I think you you need to hire people from what I call Generation C. I don't know. What are you, Mark? You're a millennial, right? I, I'm a, I'm a baby. I'm, <laughs> I'm ex, ex, Greg, oh, yeah. but thanks for that's, the compliment. That's okay, mate. I'm a baby boomer, which my kids remind me of every day in some uh, you know, uh, condescending way. Um, but yeah, a, 
That's become the ins- that's become an insult now. Yeah. The uh, kids, yeah, they call you. Yeah, a boomer. They, call, they, 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 they call me a boomer, and uh, you, know, you can imagine the response they get. Um, but but the thing is this: <laughs> Generation C is not an age based thing. It means you the C stands for connected. I would hire recruiters who are or people who are connected in in in, a, in an area, right? So it might be this is a person who who sold software to chartered accounting firms. And now we're going to recruit them as a chartered accounting recruiter. Why? Because they know everybody and they've got connections and they can open doors. And if they don't, you know, I have found as an advisor in recruitment that it kind of disappoints me, but when people tell me what they find most valuable about me, sometimes it's not what I say or do. It's the fact I know so many people that if I can't solve the problem, I know someone who can. And that's valuable, right? I know someone, someone, you know, every day someone says, do you know someone in South Africa? Do you know someone who can... Give me some advice on contracts around. Yeah, I do. I've been around a long time and I've busted a lot of, so that's valuable. That's the people I would hire. So we need that. So the thing, two, two things so far, n- n- number one uh, was resilience. Number two was uh, a connected, if you can, right? A, a, a network, knowledge. Because if you take someone who's done that and you put them in front of a client, they would actually be able to have an intelligent conversation on day one because they know something, right? Yeah, I think we should stop hiring. No, I'll re- rephrase that. Too many people default to hiring a 23-year-old graduate with two years' experience. There's no wrong, nothing wrong with that. I was hired as a graduate into recruitment with zero experience. But let's look at different styles of people. I'm not going to get into a whole debate about age discrimination, but why can't we hire a 45, 50-year-old trainee recruiter who's looking for a career change? That person has got, if you hire the right person, many of the things you're looking for. Commercial sense, communication skills, depending on what they've done, consultative skills. So I, I would look for true, um, I look for people who've got empathy. Um, by empathy, I mean, you know, the real meaning of the word empathy isn't sympathy. It's being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes and being able to reflect back to them. And I think we need a lot more of that in recruitment. And that leads on to the consultative, the influencing skills. How do you know? You've got to look at the person's job history. You've got, we've got to do a much better, I know the laws are different in different countries, but we've got to do a much better job of reference check checking. So reference checking in this country is totally legal. I would have employed uh, 10,000 recruiters in my life. No bullshit. I would have had 1,000 managers reporting to me in my life. I've had three reference check calls in 15 years. And I'm not hard to find, Mark. I'm not hard to find on digital. Wow. You mean only three people have called you for a reference on a foreigner? And, 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 and okay. uh, I see senior people getting jobs and I say to myself or to anyone who's prepared to listen, that'll last a month. And it always does because it's not the right hire. Why don't we do our due diligence? Um, and yeah, people provide referees, but we also know people who work there. We, we can talk to clients. Why don't we really put the, you know, the, 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 we're recruiters. We're meant to be experts at recruiting, but we often very flippant about recruiting our own people. And then we, then we blame them when they don't work out. So I would look for those consultative mm. skills, those resilient skills, those networking skills, the ability to sell a solution, not just sell a resume. Because you want people who are going to actually be able to, for example, sell a retainer. All right. So you mentioned reconfiguring the profile of the sort of person that we hire as a rookie recruiter and not defaulting to the graduate or person with you know, zero to two years experience and to not fall prey to um, ageism and age discrimination. The practical challenge though, and I, I don't 
necessarily think it's age discrimination. I think it's that um, typically the model in our industry is low commission, low basic salary, and then high commission. And if you're hiring a, a more experienced person, so let's say in a adjacent industry, someone maybe who's sold to the same market as in your example, then typically they're going to be on a much higher salary. And so then you've got a situation where you have to decide and, and there's no, I mean, as I mean, we all can give umpteen stories, no matter what experience and how well you qualify someone, there's no guarantee they're going to, they're going to work out or they're even going to like recruitment, right? Until they try it. Um, so if you're hiring someone on a higher salary than you, you know, have paid traditionally, then A, there's a, there's a challenge internally. How do we justify that to the rest of the team? And for someone who's unproven and they may be on a higher salary than the, than the senior consultants or whatever, and B, um, you know, is that risk worthwhile when, you know, we know that one in three or, you know, only one in three or one in four is actually going to yeah. make it? Um, Mark, I know all the reasons why it's difficult to do. What we need to talk about now is the, is the opportunities to make it happen, and there are plenty of them. So let me line them up for you. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're quite right. right about the salary thing, and it is an issue, but I'll, I'll talk about how we can address it. But it's also true that labor markets have been totally disrupted. There's some very, very capable people who, who, who are not commanding the salary they commanded every life yet. Huh? I, I can give you a real-life example. It happened in this very house that a friend of mine, more of my wife, but a friend in her early 50s, television production, media, years of experience, lost her job, um, was consulting a bit, wasn't really going well. Long story short, I spoke to her about recruitment. I referred her to a company that's in that space. They hired her. She's a highly successful recruiter because she knows everyone in the media world. She could call people up. Right. Okay? Now, she's not making the salary that she made at her peak. That is true. She was at a disadvantage in that she was, was pandemic-induced. Also true. But there are plenty of people who are actually using COVID as an opportunity to reevaluate their lives and say, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's happening in recruitment, by the way. Some good recruiters are saying, I'm not doing this now. I'm going to go and live on the North Coast. I might do some phone in, but I'm not living this, this life anymore. So there are opportunities. Yeah. Secondly, on the salary thing, of course, if someone, you know, if you're paying bases of 80,000 and somebody wants a base of 160, that's going to be hard. But there are people who are, for example, Maybe someone who's worked in a consultative sales job for a technology company, right? They, they're commission-based too, right? Somebody who's worked uh, mm -hmm. a, in corporate travel um, sales. Um, there are, I'm just making this up, but there are areas where the salaries are not that far apart, and what you can also do is you can say, look, if you're successful, you will earn all this. We will guarantee your base salary for three or four months, mm -hmm. and then you go back to the standard one. So that, that will get yeah. around the unfairness thing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I guess, you know, innovation means trying different, fresh and different things. Um, and so anyway, it was only a tiny subset of what I was saying, uh, which was let's open up. Yeah, yeah, let's, no, let's I appreciate that. Let's open that. our mind to, open that. Our mind to uh, um, and by the way, the argument that that person might fail, well, they're more, if there's more of a history in their background for you to examine and get evidence of the likelihood to succeed than a young likely lad like I was mm -hmm. when I started who, you know, 
it was just, you know, <laughs> green as anything. And I don't know why they took a punt on me. But how many of those grads don't work out? I would say 75%. And by working out, I mean two years in the industry. Yeah. So, you know, three yeah. of those is going to be Absolutely. a lot of money wasted. So, so I just, uh, you know, I, I'm encouraging a, diff- a different way of, 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 of approaching things. I'm not just defaulting. And I have to, to stop myself from doing this, uh, Mark, all the time. Not just defaulting to, oh, well, that'll never work. We've always done it this way. That, that is the thinking that's holding a lot of, of um, uh, a lot of recruiters back and a lot of recruitment companies back. And I talk about innovation and people say to me, you know, but how do I innovate? You know, like I'm not going to invent Uber for recruitment. I'm like, no. The fundamental thing about innovation, I know this isn't what you asked, but I just like to say it is just simply asking the question, why do we do it this way? Why do we do it this way? Yeah. And, and innovation isn't some whiz bang, big bang. It's, it's incremental change, right? It's incremental change. So, you know, one of my clients, I see the woman who had the eyebrow idea. She ran a good, good business. It was, it was contingency recruitment. Occasionally they got jobs exclusively more by default. As we come out of COVID, she will not take a job unless it's retained. And I promise you every day someone says to me, right. you cannot get retainers in business support. Well, she has got, I was in her office yesterday. She's got 18 orders on all retained. And those senior EAs, they earn 150000 right? She charges 20%. These are quite big fees. All retained. Will not take it. That's, that's her innovation. And that will be enough to differentiate her and, and she awesome. will go forward into the sunset. Do great. So is that innovative? Well, we've always had retainers. Well, it was innovative for her. She had to engineer it with her consultants, get their minds. She had to engineer it with her clients. She had to turn business away. Shit, that's innovative. And she had to stick to her guns. And now her business is retained, even though she's working in what we used to call office support or business support. It's pretty cool. Love it. Yeah, that is super cool. And uh, as you say, it's really just thinking how can we improve what we're doing? How can we do things differently? And uh, re-examining just things we take for granted um, yeah. and asking why, why can't we do it in a different way? Yeah. So love it. Um, Greg, you, you have uh, a session that you have recorded <clears throat> called um, Thrive. Uh, it's based on your 14 pillars of yeah. growth, driving the recovery. Um, now I believe that's only available for uh, it's, it's actually just, it's actually just closing. Uh, now we've had it for, for a oh, month and it? we had several, several hundred people sign up, but the good news is I'm, I'm going to okay. make that and, and four or five of my other masterclasses available on my website, mm-hmm. uh, on a kind of an e-shop thing over the next month. This one, um, this okay. one, I would really, you know, it's, it's, it's our very best plan. To, to thrive in the recovery. Um, and um, mm-hmm. yes, I can't sign up for it now. We're basically closing it, uh, it's accessibility. It's been open a month or more, but it, it will be available. And I, and I, you know, I'm not trying to plug my stuff. I really don't mind, but I think it would be very, very helpful to sort of move forward with a strategy and, and, and to check yourself about just saying, it's booming, let's work hard. That is not a strategy. You know, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, work hard, but have a plan. Have Absolutely. A plan. Awesome. Awesome. So um, if you were going to share one uh, element of those 14 pillars, <clears throat> uh, 
uh, as a final thought for today, what uh, what would that be? Well, I, I think I think your podcast is aimed mostly at sort of managers and leaders, uh, Mark. Would that be true? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, correct. I'll just do some. I'll give you some brief comments about your leadership style going forward uh, in these because. Mm-hmm. Just remember this, right? For you, uh, well, for us too, but for you especially, it's still a long way to go before we get out of this, you know. The pandemic might be behind us at one day, but the pandemic era is going to be with us for years. It's like a marathon, you know. A marathon yeah. is 42 kilometers. I reckon we're on kilometer 10 of the COVID story, okay? Yeah. It may have gone through the hardest, the most hilly, but I don't know. Every time I think it's over, we get another lockdown, you know, and you'll have them. You'll have stuff. You've had several. Mm-hmm. And there'll be other things. And then, and then someone says, the buddy, a vaccine doesn't work. And then, so, you know, whatever. There will be things. So your leadership style in the recovery, I think the most important thing, uh, I've got five points or six points on this, is um, authenticity and transparency counts for everything now. Uh, in society, people are sick of fake news. You know, we've seen it in leadership uh, on, on the high levels in the world. We've seen it in recruitment companies and other companies. People don't trust the leadership. And your first job is to get their trust back by being authentic and transparent. Of course, you paint a good picture, but don't bullshit people. Don't bullshit people. Don't hide the truth. People would rather hear the bad news and, and come to grips with it than be have it sugarcoated. And then suddenly they whacked with the reality because you misled them. So that's the first thing. I, yeah. I, I would say that if you, if you should look at yourself as the CEO of the company, but, but the CEO stands for Chief Empathy Officer, um, don't, don't mm. misunderstand what the word empathy means. Empathy doesn't mean giving everyone a cuddle forever. Empathy is understanding how they're feeling. And people are feeling shit after all this time lockdown and they're worried about their careers, they're worried about their family, they're worried about... Is recruitment even going to be a thing? So empathy is important, but a great leader is going to combine empathy with outcomes. That is your ethos. It's empathy. Yes, I understand. You can't build what you used to build. I understand working from home in that apartment is tough. Let's set some goals for today that are going to make you feel great by 6 o'clock tonight. That you, let's have some nice outcomes that you understand why. Go back to that measurement thing. You understand why it's important and you can – you, you can get that glass of wine open at 6 o'clock and you say, I've had a good day. No, it didn't place anyone, but I've had a good day. So that's what empathy is about, right? And, so, and it's got to start with the leadership. <laughs> and CEO stands for something else too. It stands for chief energy officer. And this is where it's so hard on the leadership because we are, you know, I'm not, not me, but leaders are tired. They've also got those stresses. They've also got family challenges. They're also locked down. They've also got double, triple stresses about their business surviving and all the difficult things. But you will set the benchmark in energy. So you have to uh, calibrate your life to build up enough sort of replenishment that you can provide the energy for people. It doesn't mean being manic, but it means giving people that, that hope. You're a dealer in hope. You're, a leader is a dealer in hope. And, and, and providing people hope that it will get better, their careers will take off again. Um, and then the other thing that I would put squarely on, and we've touched on this, squarely on the leadership is to, is to have the courage to redefine your business, to recalibrate. And that means everything. Uh, the markets we're in, the fees we charge. You know, that woman who said, I'm only taking retainers. She had to, she had to face down her consultant and say, you're turning away work in a fucking pandemic. That was her message to them. That was not easy, right? 
That took yeah. courage. I got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of regard for the, this type of leadership. They've all got it now, but it was pretty cold and frosty in there for a while, you know. And so, but she faced it <laughs> down, and she had the courage to redefine that. And 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 there are people changing. One of my clients, um, it's not a secret. Precision sourcing. Have a look at the website. That they have, they have gone out there and they've given this. They put people on four day working weeks, and they put them back on five days pay, but they mm-hmm. still work four days. And, and they've, they've recalibrated what productivity is and how to get productive in four days. They haven't dropped the goals, the outcomes, or the dollars, but they've said if you get it done in four days, you take a three-day weekend, every weekend. Now, this is brave. This is very hard to yep. undo that, um, but it's, the benefits are huge. So you've got, to, you've got to recalibrate your future. You configure your own future. Don't think that you're going to rise on the tide when the recovery comes. We all rise a little bit. But some will catch the wave. If I, you know, I'm kind of murdering that metaphor a bit. But some will catch the wave, and 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 will and will um, end up. You know, the good recruiters who take advantage of the learnings through COVID, and the good leaders will end up being like five years ahead of where they would have been if it hadn't been COVID. I'm not saying COVID's a good thing, but it is an opportunity to really um, take a big leap forward. So. Um, these are some of the thoughts I have about leadership and, and it's playing out everywhere I look. Awesome. Greg, I, I support what you've just said. And in fact, I would extend the definition of leadership, not just to include managers and people running businesses, but recruiters have an opportunity to step up and show leadership within their market, within their ecosystem that they, that they operate in. And all of those things you just said could apply in that scenario as well. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. That is such a good point, Mark. I'm glad you made it. Thank you. Because I have seen individuals who we weren't really expecting to be the ones who've done what you say. They've been supportive of their colleagues. They have been strong on, on LinkedIn with help and advice. They have um, led the charge in this um, uh, building up of goodwill equity. And um, it's been, and, and they're also on the reverse, there have been some that are a bit surprised that they haven't done that um, in, in this environment. And, and so you're quite right. It's nothing to do with your title. Uh, it's to do with, you know, one way to look at it is this, you know, you're probably not old enough, Mark, but when I was growing up, it was a common, you know, after the Second World War, I mean, I was born well after the Second World War, but my, my father was in the, the war, and so were a lot of his demographic. And it was very common at that stage for, for a young kid to say to their dad, hey, dad, what did you do in the war? What did you do in the war? And then the story would, I didn't like my father's answer. Spent three years in Changi Prison at war camp under the, uh, in, in Singapore. So that, that, was, that shocked me. Gosh. He only told me that when I was older, but yes. that's not the point. The point is this. I encourage recruiters to, to imagine five years from now when their kids say to them, because this COVID event's going to be in the history books, right? This is going to be like a yeah, seminal thing. This is like the second world war. Well, no, it's not quite, but it's that sort of seminal event. And people are going to say to you, Mark, what did you do during COVID? And if your answer is, well, I watched every single episode of Breaking Bad and I got back, that's not very something to be proud of, right? <laughs> but, but if your answer is, well, I worked doubly hard, I helped people out of work. I supported my colleagues. I, um, you know, I got fitter. I, you know, we've got to look at it and say, what are we going to say about ourselves when this is over? And some people, as you say, are showing the most amazing leadership 
Some are in leadership positions, but others are not. And um, it's actually been very, um, and there's been a lot of collaboration, some bad behavior, but there's been a lot of collaboration and support in recruitment, which has been a credit to those people. And it's made me feel a lot, you know, I love this industry anyway, but it's been made me quite proud of the way some people, you know, have behaved. And even me doing this podcast for you, it's like my 120th podcast. Um, and I could easily have sort of said, no, I'm going to sit this out and drink Shiraz. And I'm not trying to shine the light on myself because I've got the least of worries. But it would be it would be weak not to be standing up in this environment when you've got something to offer. It would be pathetic. I'd be ashamed of myself when it was over to say, what did I during COVID? Oh, I went to my holiday house and I drank wine. Well, that's weak. You know, it's time to stand up, show your colors. Awesome. And on that note, I think that's a great place to finish. And uh, I know you don't have to do these podcasts anymore. And I appreciate being the 100th or 120th or whatever it is that uh, you've done time. in the last Second 12 months. Time, mate. Second time for you. In Absolutely. Year. Yeah. You got it. So, uh, so Greg, thank you again for your generosity and your leadership uh, in our industry. And uh, I can't wait to pr talk properly and maybe actually meet in person again when we're was, able uh, to, to do that. That would be good. I think the last time was in Glasgow, was it? Um, yeah, Glasgow 2019, your book tour. Um, right, or in right. fact, no, let, let's think. When were you in Glasgow? Was it just at the beginning uh, of 2020? I've been, I've been a couple of times. I think it was 2019. Um, the book tour, I actually had a book tour to the UK. It was aborted because yeah. of COVID. Uh, did do one round Australia, um, but yeah, that we we had, uh, we had a lunch there or a, or a dinner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Twenty nineteen. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. All right, sir. Well, I'll let you get back to your evening and your glass of Shiraz uh, or whatever you have planned. <laughs> uh, almost certainly going to happen. So, uh, just the, the final message to everyone is, um, you know, I know yes. it's, I know it's been extraordinarily tough. Uh, I, I, I know much tougher for many people listening to this than for me. Um, but without sounding condescending, I will, I will say that my experience of coming out of recessions is that the opportunities are fabulous. And I believe that will happen again. And the sun will shine on our industry again. Um, so hold firm, survive is step one, but then in the revival, um, be brave, be brave and, 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 and set yourself clear goals, a hundred day goals, because, they are the stepping stones to really uh, taking a big leap forward and there'll be fabulous opportunities. So, and I know you've got a bit of a way to go, but uh, I, think, I think there is a bit of sun shining on, on the UK uh, figuratively because it never shines literally, but figuratively <laughs> in terms of getting out of lockdown and, and uh, I've read some quite good numbers around the temp market improving in bits and pieces. So hopefully that continues. Excellent. I love it. Thank you so much, Greg, and uh, we'll talk again. Take care. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you. 
or maybe it's someone you know, send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Like once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.